AIM is a podcast that connects women who are eager to grow in their relationship with God, living out the living word of God each day. The following episode represents the opinions of the AIM hosts and their guest speakers. The following discussion should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only, and because each person is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. In no way does listening to our content establish a doctor-patient relationship. Views and opinions expressed in this podcast are our own, and while we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or correction of errors. Thank you. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of EAM. It's Marina here. Hi, guys. Karen here. And Maria. And today we have Dr. Christine Agaibi joining us again for another episode on self-care and resilience. So just to remind you guys, Dr. Christine holds a master's and PhD in counseling psychology from Ohio. She's also the chair of the Religious and Spiritual Issues Group in Counseling Psychology in the APA, or American Psychological Association. She also sits on two mental health and education committees within the Coptic Orthodox Church, which is so cool. Uh, She currently provides therapy in community mental health clinics in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. Her research interests include resilience, positive psychology, women's issues, religion, and spirituality. She also has a website at caresilience.com where you could check out her blog, you could book consultations. She also has workshops if you'd like to check that out. So Dr. Christine, thank you so much for being here with us again. We're so happy to have you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate being on here again. (laughs) Thank you. So we briefly discussed this in our last episode, but could you remind us what the definition of self-care is? What does it entail? And would you consider it to be something narcissistic? Yeah, it's a great question. I know we touched on this uh, on the last episode, and it's really important to understand that it is not a narcissistic quality. It's not a luxury. It's something that we should all be doing um, to take care of our mental and our physical health. Um, And that's actually the only way we can take care of others is if we take care of ourselves first. So self-care includes, you know, the basic things like eating right, sleeping, exercising, you know, not sleeping three hours, four hours a day and pulling all-nighters all the time, but sleeping the the right amount of hours, restful um, time spent, and then also doing things that are meaningful, meaningful to us, spending time with family or um, engaging in activities that are really important to you and are meaningful um, and present you with a lot of joy and um, uh, using that meaning to help you to kind of Um, go through the difficult times as well. So self-care is really, really essential um, for our mental and our physical health. It is not a narcissistic quality. Um, You're not using it to to brag or things like that. You're using it to keep yourself healthy mentally and physically. Um, So I'm kind of curious to know what does it mean to be resilient and how can one become resilient? Yeah, so resilience is a term you hear a lot. Um, it's thrown around in the media. It's a ta- it's a term that you hear, um, you know, around the pandemic or whenever there's a real crisis. You hear it in media. You hear it on social media. You hear it everywhere. Um, so it's thr- thrown around a lot. But it's actually a um, scientific study, and um, it's only been a scientific study since about say 1975 or so. Um, before that, it had been discussed by philosophers like Nietzsche or Confucius. Uh, by poets like uh, Maya Angelou, Robert Frost, even um, you've seen biblical characters that have been resilient, but it's never been scientifically studied until about 40, 45 years ago or so. And it's really a a complex term if you're thinking about it um, from a scientific perspective. 
Um, it's a lifelong process. So it's sometimes in your life when you're going through things that are difficult, you may feel like um, you're not really resilient, but hopefully it's a muscle to be built and it's something that can grow with time. And basically it's this optimal coping or adaptation um, to highly stressful events or to long-term positive adaptation to stressful events. And again, it can be something that's really complex um, based on environmental demands that are put on you, based on your genetics, based on um, your experiences. But it's basically this healthy, stable functioning across time, even in times of difficulty. And it's being the ability to kind of pivot and adjust and adapt when things are not going perfectly. Um, so there's a real scientific study to this. Wow. Um, I wanted to ask, like, what are some steps that we can take right now, like today to be Mm -hmm. resilient? Yeah. So resilience occurs on a continuum and, um, you know, depending on the circumstances that people are going through, they can do one of four things. They can either succumb to the difficulty that they're experiencing. They can survive and kind of continue to function along the way that they are. Um, they can dip a little bit and then recover and come back to baseline. And hopefully if you're resilient, you're thriving beyond your original level of functioning. So you've gone through this difficult experience, but now you're um, you know, thriving beyond where you were before. And again, there's lots of factors that are coming into play here. It's biology, it's your individual risk factors. Uh, but we've seen that resilience kind of creates um, this chain reaction over time. So as you've started to become resilient, it creates this kind of chain reaction over time. And so there's lots of things that we can do. You know, research kind of tells us that um, there's some healthy coping mechanisms that we can kind of engage in that can help us. Um, We just had Thanksgiving in the States here uh, uh, last week. And so one of the greatest things in research that we find, um, and even from, you know, the Coptic Thanksgiving prayer is that gratitude really helps us to kind of focus um, and shift our focus from what's going wrong to what's going right. So some gratitude practices are really helpful as well. You know, sometimes we say, okay, we're just going to be thankful on Thanksgiving, but we really should try to be thankful every single day, even if it's for one, two, three things, you know, that you can list a day. And it really turns your perspective away from complaining and whining and everything that's going wrong, because there's always things that are going to be going wrong. But gratitude helps us to kind of shift our perspective. And we also want to spend some time savoring and um, not rushing through life whether it's savoring a cup of coffee, whether it's savoring a conversation with a friend, you know, whether it's spending time with family and really savoring that, um, but taking time to slow down and enjoy those moments, that's really important as well. Um, Another way that we can have good coping mechanisms is to be helpful to others. And that goes back to that self-care. Again, we cannot pour out from an empty cup. If your cup is empty, you can't pour anything out of it. So it's really important that you are um, filling yourself up so that you can um, fill others up as well. And you also want to try to um, have positive emotions. Um, Things like hope and joy and optimism and those kinds of emotions have been shown from a research perspective to kind of open up our mind and help us to problem solve a little bit so that we're not um, always thinking about what's negative. Um, But it helps us to problem solve, helps us to give us an ability to think about a problem more proactively than just to think about it as a problem. So we have to have these positive emotions as well. And it's also really important to interact with people that we love. Um, And sometimes again, through the rush of life, we forget to do that. We forget to interact with people that we care about um, and we just are rushing through life. So it's really important to see people that are supportive of you, 
um, and identify who your supports are and hanging out with them and interacting with them is really important as well. Make sure you're taking a break, um, not, you know, running yourself ragged again, like we're talking about. And that includes just spending alone time, me time, time with people that you care about, time with God. Um, and you need to, again, have that good physical well-being too, eating right, exercising, um, sleeping enough. And that all keeps the negative thinking at bay as well. Wow. These are all such great points. I really liked your point on practicing gratitude. Like it's so important to just thank God for every little thing he gave us. And I also liked your point on savoring certain moments every day. That's so, so important. Like it's such a simple thing we can start doing that will for sure have a lasting impact. So on that note, when we are faced with stress and difficulty, what are some healthy coping mechanisms that we can use in response? Yeah, um, two that I didn't mention with this last question of how to be more resilient um, is to keep the negative thoughts in check. Um, and I think we touched on that briefly at the last session is that sometimes we tend to ruminate about all the negative things that are happening and, and just hyper-focus on that. And you know, there, we, we tend to have something called a negativity bias, which uh, allows us to kind of focus on the negative in order to think of potentially the worst case scenario and then um, your brain is using that to protect itself, to think of solutions to that worst case scenario. But if it goes into overdrive and you're thinking only negative, that is not something that is good. Um, we don't want to think only negative. So keep that negative thinking in check. And you can kind of combat it again with more positive thinking, more gratitude, more things that are, are going well. And um, some of the research even supports that when we savor and we really slow down and enjoy those moments that are positive, it kind of banks in our mind. Imagine putting uh, money into your savings account. And then on a rainy day, you pull out from that bank account to pay for whatever the rainy day is. Same with savoring. The more that you bank into your um, positive system, into your brain, you can pull from that on a, on a rainy day, on a negative um, scenario, on when things are difficult. So keeping those negative thoughts in check is really, really important. Um, and especially in these winter months when it's getting dark earlier and earlier and you don't have as much sunlight, it's really important to do these things that are positive um, to keep things in check. Um, but resilience does not mean that there's no ups and downs. It's just a matter of what you focus on. Um, and so another way that you can you can help yourself focus on the on the right things is knowing what your character strengths are. And there's research to say that there is about 24 character strengths in each of us. Um, and that if we utilize them more, we tend to be more resilient because we're, we're leaning on what works, we're leaning on what our strengths are, we're leaning on what is good for us and um, identifying what those strengths are, that is definitely a way to be more resilient and have good coping strategies. I just wanna, uh back off of that and, and ask the question. Um, I do feel like sometimes uh, people confuse resilience with just living through something. So sometimes that um, it won't really entail like negative thoughts, thoughts, but it's just kind of like existing through a bad time and just um, not necessarily making it a bad thing, but also necessarily just not dealing with it at all. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm wondering how can somebody uh, tell if they are being resilient and they're actually gaining like good um, positive outcomes from this situation versus someone who's just existing through something. Right. Yeah. So if you're just existing through something, you're not really growing. The point of resilience is not the absence of difficulty, but it's a conscious choice to experience the full spectrum of all the experiences that you go through, the positives, the negatives, the ups, the downs, the difficult stuff and the easy, good stuff, but not to be consumed by it. So it's not like a, a flame that's going to engulf you and, and um, you know, 
uh, like not, not let you be able to function. So it's your ability to kind of thrive through these difficult experiences. It's not just roughing it out or, or coasting through it or whatever. It's a muscle to be built. It's about the ability to learn and to grow and to transform and to pivot and to change and to develop. And so it's about being this, this um, flexibility that when you're going through this tough time, you're not this rigid mentality that um, this can break me or, or, you know, it's, it's an ability to kind of grow through that difficult challenge. Um, and so it's not the absence of difficulty or coasting at all. It's actually an, a very proactive and active process of growing through that difficult times. And it doesn't mean that you're, you're, you know, you're going through difficulty and um, you're not going to experience that difficulty because again, if something is really serious happening, let's say you lost a job or you lost a loved one, of course, that's going to, it's going to be a major hit in your, in your life. Um, and so again, it's the experience, experiencing all of that, um, the full spectrum of human emotions and not being consumed by it. I, I like how you put that to experience a stress or a difficulty, but not be consumed by it. And you mentioned earlier that resilience is being able to thrive and be transformed through the situation. Um, and that actually reminds me of Romans 12 too. do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Um, and of course, you know, this is telling us to like allow Christ to enter our hearts and minds so that we can grow so that we can actually make some progress. Um, so I guess on that note, what can we do to begin addressing those stressful situations head on rather than suppressing them? So some of the research actually says that initially when someone's going through a major crisis, they may experience some denial because it's such an intense emotion. Your brain can't handle it. Your body can't handle it. It's too much to process. Um, Obviously, doing therapy and things like that helps you to unpackage it a little bit and to process each of the pieces. And that may take some time. It may take some time to process this intensely negative event. So initially, there may be some denial. And then the next step beyond that is that you have a sense of grief, whether there's a loss there or, again, it could be a loss of a job, a loss of a loved one, some sort of loss. And when when I say loss, grief is not just for someone who passes away. Grief is anytime there's a change in trajectory in your life. Um, You were going one path and then all of a sudden something knocks you off of that path. That results in intense grief because you did not expect that maybe, or you didn't want it to go that way. And so there's this intense realization of the loss, but realization, the pivot point for resilience is yes, I'm grieving and I can over overcome this, or I can, I can grow from this, or what can I learn from this? And that may not come initially. That may not come for sometime, you know, months or days or years even. Um, But there's a point where there's a pivot and a shift from this was a negative life experience, I'm grieving, to I'm not going to succumb to this. I'm not going to succumb to this. And coming to that realization is the beginning of like the the little buds of resilience. Um, And you're searching for meaning. That's the next step. You search for meaning, you search for connection. You have a connection to the past as well as looking at your life presently and as well as hoping for the future. So it's really a lifelong process because throughout life, you may get hits here and there, sometimes bigger than others, but it's a lifelong process. Sometimes you may not feel resilient, but looking back retrospectively and across a continuum, you can, you can sense those moments of pivoting from that grief and that realization of loss to something that I can grow from this. What have I learned? I'm a, I'm a bigger person or I've learned a lot um, in this journey of difficulty. So it's a journey. It's not a, you know, one or two days kind of thing. 
Yeah, I love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was very beautifully put. Um, and I guess to like kind of relate to what you just said, that it's a journey. Um, and we know that Christ, Christ gives us meaning and Christ is with us throughout the entire journey of our life. And the church is there and it's stable. Um, how can we benefit from our relationship with God and our immersion in the church to uplift us, motivate us almost to, you know, self-care um, and connect us to each other? So in terms of quiet time and the beautiful liturgical services or serving others, um, how can we use these to, to truly develop resilience? Yeah, so um, the, the, the church aspect of it and the spiritual aspect of it or the religious aspect of it, there are so many stories in the Bible of resilient characters. Um, you know, the two that come to mind, you know, Job, he lost everything and um, came back stronger from that. And Joseph, who was betrayed by his brothers and, you know, thrown into a pit and, and betrayed by Potiphar's wife and thrown into prison and then became second in command in Egypt. So those are resilient stories because they did not give up when things got tough. Um, you know, they learned to pray and connect to God more and, and believed in their purpose even when things got really difficult. And Christ himself, you know, suffered really greatly. Um, The Gethsemane, when he was in Gethsemane all alone and in extreme anguish and pain, um, and then all the way to dying on the cross and then rising again. So those are all stories of resilience. You have stories of Esther and Ruth and Naomi and St. Paul shipwrecked and beaten and all these stories where you would think that somebody should give up, but they don't. Um, and, and that's, I think the spiritual aspect of this is that we all have a purpose. We all have hope. And even when things seem really bleak, um, what's more bleak than being beaten or being um, put on a cross or losing everything or being put in prison. Those are all bleak situations, but you know, they come out of it. And so that's again, where we say we have to lean on, on the biblical truths and of hope and that we all have a purpose and that these stories should encourage us. And then also leaning on things like our character strengths, um, strengths that keep us courageous and open-minded and, um, you know, able to help others. And then when people go through things that are difficult, um, I did some research on Holocaust survivors at some point, and those individuals obviously went through the most bleak of situations, not knowing if they were going to live or die. And each of them would come out of that, that I, that I researched wanting to help others, wanting to teach others, wanting to prevent these things from happening again. And so finding a meaning or a purpose out of that difficult situation, um, I think is, is really helpful. And even Joseph said it at the end um, of his story, you know, uh, it was meant for evil, but God meant it for good. So people may turn things into evil or there may be evil circumstances or situations, but having that spiritual belief that it will be turned for good um, is very much related to resilience because there's always hope. Yeah, I like that. It really, uh, it is really important to remember that we have a whole example that we can follow. There's so many different stories in the Bible. So that is really, really beautiful to remember. Um, I also want to go back to your point where you were saying that we need to be, we have to make sure that we are good before we can help others. Um, So now I just, I want to know how can we be more present for like family and friends who might be struggling with mental illness? And without it, le- without letting it affect me in a negative way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great question. Um, because it, it it can be something that um, is draining, and it's really important that again, self care is first and foremost in here, and knowing when I'm getting uh, drained or when I'm getting tired, or when it's important to turn it to a professional who can help. 
um, it is important to be supportive because one of the hallmarks of resilience actually is having supportive individuals around me. Um, and so that doesn't mean that you get to a point where you're drained and, and unable to, to help others. Uh, but support is one of those things that is really helpful that helps people to grow. And again, research shows that the more that you have support, the more you're able to come through difficulty because you realize that you're important to others and others are important to you. And so you can help them, um, you know, one of the task forces that was put together by the American Psychological Association on resilience, it's, it's shown that people that make connections tend to be more resilient. People that um, do not see the crisis as insurmountable tend to do better. So helping people to not see the crisis as insurmountable, that you can't overcome this, that there is proactive ways we can look at it. Um, helping them to accept that change is part of life. Every day is going to be different than maybe the day before. And so accepting, there's a concept of radical acceptance sometimes where we have to accept that change is going to occur, but it doesn't mean I have to fall apart. So again, being proactive when change occurs and making goals. You can help them to create goals, short-term goals, long-term goals, and walk decisively towards those goals every day. And so taking steps towards um, the bigger goal and, and making it into smaller goals and then walking towards those goals every day. If you can help them to look for opportunities of self-discovery that, you know, you're, you've had, um, you know, times in the past where you've had difficulties and this is how you walked out of those difficult situations or what tools did you use? Maybe you can use those same tools again um, and helping them to kind of nurture this positive self-view and keep things in perspective. Again, not everything is insurmountable. You can um, go through it. You can take it step by step. You can contact resources to help you. Um, and so that helps you to kind of have a hopeful outlook. And of course, throughout this whole process, you need to take care of yourself because um, taking care of somebody else who's ill, just like a physical illness, you know, you need to take breaks. You need to take times to check in with yourself and make sure that you're um, doing things correctly um, and taking time to make sure that you're taken care of as well. That will help tremendously. Fantastic. Um, that's, I love how practical you, you make everything. So thank you for that. Um, so what help can we offer versus what a professional can offer? So, uh, you know, a family member can offer support. Maybe you can offer them resources, um, you know, whatever their needs are. Sometimes people need financial resources. Sometimes they need to, you know, just make them a, a meal. Maybe they need, the, you know, those kinds of things. A professional is really going to help you to kind of reframe your thinking look at where the negative blind spots are and kind of reframe those um, is really going to treat that person. Um, and, and, and that's much different than just the support that a family member can present. So it's about um, dismantling kind of negative thinking patterns and, uh, you know, organizing them in a different way, giving them actual resources, um, helping with things like depression and anxiety and seeing where those stem from. Um, and so it's much more uh, scientifically based advice, evidence-based advice than just the support that a family and friend can give. They both have roles that are important, um, but the support from a family or a friend is not going to be the one that is scientifically based and shouldn't be, we you know, what the, the professional can kind of separate and say, you know, this is kind of where the boundaries are and, and things like that. Whereas a family member is much more invested in that person's care and, and well-being um, from a personal perspective. So there's a scientific perspective and there's a professional perspective and there's a, a personal perspective and those two don't um, necessarily mix. I, I love that differentiation. Um, yeah, I, I could just follow up if that's okay, unless you wanted to go to have 
another question. Okay. Um, I, I hear some people say that a professional's help, although evidence-based and science-based, um, might not carry so much empathy and that what the person needs at that point as part of their therapy is someone to empathize with them. They don't want it to feel like I'm talking to someone who's just finishing a shift or doing their work. How do you respond to that? Empathy is a very big part of what we do. And it's part of our rapport building is that we have to be human and understand the struggles that this person is going through. It is not, um, you know, just this cut and dry kind of cookie cutter based therapy, uh, but truly feeling what this person is experiencing and, um, you know, it's cathartic for them to talk about it, but also to have an empathetic ear on the other side that is also scientifically based. So it has to be a balance between, you know, they shouldn't be calling you at 3 a.m. or anything like that. So there is professional boundaries, of course, but of course we're human. And of course we're, we're um, understanding of the difficulty that somebody's going through. Like if they've lost a loved one or they've lost everything because of the pandemic, or, you know, we hear all kinds of stories and um, empathy is one of the most important characteristics that we have uh, in building rapport. And you really can't create change without building that rapport first. Um, I, I, I love how you kind of explained that professional standpoint and how important it is. And I guess from the personal standpoint as well, um, in order for it to be effective support, are there any boundaries that I should place for myself with regards to helping others? Yeah, absolutely. And this is why it's really important to know yourself very well. Only, you know, when you're getting drained, when it's getting too tiring, when you know that you're not helping effectively enough and you need to call in a professional, um, you know, so that's why it's important to check in with yourself and know where your boundaries are. Again, they shouldn't be calling you at three o'clock in the morning every day. Um, you know, it's important to put those boundaries. You've got your, your life as well. You've got to take care of things that you need to take care of. Um, but it is important to show that level of support. Uh, maybe call every once in a while. Again, provide meals if they need it. Provide finances if they need it. See what their needs are and see what you can provide. And if it's above and beyond what you can provide, that's when a professional can step in and provide other resources that maybe you cannot. And my final question would be, um, I, I find it sometimes it's hard to um, convince a friend who maybe you think would benefit from seeking guidance to get them to seek out the help that they need. So um, how would you advise us to approach people um, who are wary of seeking that kind of guidance? So again, maybe understanding why they don't want to seek that guidance. There's a lot of times there's stigma. Um, you know, somebody's going to know that I went to see a mental health professional. They're going to think I'm crazy, quote unquote, crazy. Um, and so we need to kind of get rid of some of that stigma and tell them that it's okay. This is just like going to the doctor for a flu, for a cold, for any other pains that we go through. And it should be no different. And you can get a lot of clarity from a professional, again, because they're using scientific method and evidence-based practices. Um, so they can get a lot of clarity about where the hiccups are, where the patterns are, um, and how they can use those, you know, uh, those things to use their, their strengths to overcome and cope with the difficult situations in their life. And again, it can help them with tools like savoring and gratitude and things like that, that we may not think of can help them to build self-esteem. And so again, getting rid of the stigma is really, really important. And that's one of the, the key factors I think that keeps people away. Um, they don't know what to expect. And so it's really important to educate about what happens in therapy and how to improve that um, and make their lives a little bit better. Yeah, for sure. 
Wow, this was such a nice discussion. I feel like we covered so much. And as Maria said, I love how all your points were very practical and easy to follow. I definitely learned a lot personally. Um, so thank you so much for your time with us. And before we end off, I'd like to ask if you could please pray for us. Sure. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, Lord, for bringing us this platform to discuss both spirituality and our mental and physical health all of which are connected and to um, educate on these topics so that people can get the help that they need where they need it. Um, and to realize that they do have strengths that in each of us, there is uh, strengths and um, your, your will for our lives and that we all have purpose. And so discussing that sometimes with family and friends, as well as with professionals can bring that to the forefront and help us to have meaningful lives uh, to grow according to your will. So we thank you for this platform that helps us to do that. Through the intercessions of the saints, we thank you. Amen. Whether you'd like more information on resources used in this episode, want to suggest a topic or leave your feedback, please visit our website, emisher.com. And even if you just want to talk, feel free to reach out to one of your AIM sisters. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you're listening and follow us on our Instagram and Facebook pages.